Welcome back to track seven of Out on That Line. This week, we'll be talking about Laura Jane Grace's new album, Stay Alive, as well as Courtney Barnett's Sometimes I Sit and Think, Sometimes I Just Sit. I'm here with my co-host, Alex. Alex, how are you? I'm doing okay, um, but we are, with this episode, coming to you all with a heavy heart. Uh, Eddie Van Halen of Van Halen fame passed away yesterday at the age of 65. So I don't know about you, Jeff. Um, Friend of the pod, Tanner, obviously big Van Halen guy. And through my friendship with him and over the years, I've consumed quite a bit of Van Halen. So I don't know what your relationship with Eddie Van Halen was like, but I'd be I'd be curious to see, to hear what stories you've got. Yeah, uh, Tanner was definitely a big part of the amount of Van Halen I've listened to in, in more recent years. Um, but I do, when I first started playing guitar, you know, obviously, you know, you hear about all these big, crazy, great guitar players like Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix, you know, all the, all the big ones and Eddie Van Halen's one you hear about right along with them. And I'll always remember the first time I heard the song eruption. And I think it's off right off their debut album when, Mm -hmm. when you just hear exactly what he was capable of on guitar. And there are people, people had done the finger tapping and the really fast kind of arpeggios and, and really kind of classical style on guitar, but nobody had done it to the explosive level that he achieved at that point. I mean, it was just like a, a tsunami taking over. It, it pretty much kicked off kind of a guitar arms race in the industry from what I understand. Well, and what were you telling me before about like in early performances with him, like he had to like face backwards? Yeah, well, they had him face backwards. I mean, this is I could very well be a myth, but you know, it goes to show how legendary he was that there even is a myth like this. Um, that he would face the other way when they were playing the early shows because they didn't want people seeing how he was doing those sounds because it was so unique to to have something like that. And I mean, you think about like Hot for Teacher. You know, if you play guitar, you hear you can understand just how difficult that stuff is to play. And then you hear Eruption where it's just basically him saying, I am really good at this and I'm going to show you what I can do. And it was like nothing I'd ever heard before at that point. You know, it's just unbelievably fast, melodic, just and he didn't even know how to read music that was all he just played it all basically by ear i didn't know that yeah it it was there's some there's a specific word for it i should have written it down um but it's specifically for people that can just match perfect that can understand hear pitch and put it through to an instrument um that he just knew exactly what needed to be played pretty incredible that's pretty sweet well pursuant to that another person who couldn't read music, had no music theory, was Michael Jackson. And obviously, Eddie Van Halen did the solo for Beat It. Um, He did that completely for free. He did it in an afternoon. Um, And apparently, like, as legend has it, he did it in a single take. So we're talking about the legend of Eddie Van Halen. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure the, the single take thing is widely accepted. One of the engineers claims that a speaker caught fire while he was playing. Your mileage may vary with whether or not that's, you know... Paul Bunyan combed his hair with a wagon wheel or whatever the hell it was. But um, the really funny story I saw about Eddie Van Halen after Beat It came out, he was shopping at a Tower Records incognito, and Beat It came on over the loudspeakers, 
And these two kids were like, listen to this fucking asshole on guitar. Try to sound like Eddie Van Halen. And he just <laughs> tapped him on the shoulder and was like, actually, it is me. <laughs> so, listen here, you little punks. <laughs> you fucking whippersnappers. <laughs> Which one of you has cocaine? I know one of you has coke. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it. He had his obviously his his issues during his life, but you know, anybody with that immense talent is going to be some level of mercurial at some point, you know. Um, but R.I.P. to a legend. I mean, he was truly, truly one of the best. Well, should we uh, get into the meat and taters? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we're going to start out with uh, Laura Jane Grace's new album, "Stay Alive." Now, this one was. Um, you could say a surprise album. I mean, there was not a whole lot of advance notice. I think it was like one day. Um, I think Laura Jane had put up on Twitter or something maybe a day or two before. Um, she had said, you know, I've got something, some big news coming. And I don't think anybody had any idea that this was, this was what it was. Um, but as you know, long time, long time against me fan, you know, as well, you know, you probably, you are as well. Um, I was really excited when I heard about this, um, you know, just to be like, well, in this situation, what is she gonna, what is she gonna give us? Because I've generally liked everything that she's ever put together, um, and I really, I like this album a lot. I thought this one was lyrically, I think, one of her strongest efforts that I've that I've heard in recent years. Um, you know, and she's done several things, and you know, I don't think lyrics are always necessarily the focus of of what she's doing, but with everything on this album being pretty stripped down, you know, obviously there was a focus on that, and she did not miss. Yeah, I-, I thought this was really interesting on a couple levels. So obviously it's another quarantine album. You know, Taylor Swift gets does her folklore. Um, and then th- the story that I read behind this was as soon as the reality of Shelter in Place kicked in, uh, Laura Jane Grace started to have these really bad panic attacks. So she stopped smoking weed and decided to just throw herself into the songwriting process. And I think out of that, we got some of the most exposed, vulnerable, scared Laura Jane Grace we've ever gotten. And as a little backstory for people who maybe are not as familiar with Against Me as you or I are, because we've been listening since we were teenagers. Um, Against Me is a band, a punk band out of Florida. Um, Laura Jane Grace, What? and i sensitive to the issue of dead naming, but for the purposes of explaining where we're coming from, Laura Jane Grace was born as Tom Gable, um, son of a, a military officer and from a very early age realized that uh, he had some kind of form of body dysmorphia without really being able to put a name to the term. Um, so Tom Gable entered into the punk scene and uh, ended up forming against me and against me takes off. And I, first of all, read a lot of, I a lot, I read the whole fucking book. Um, I read Laura Jane Grace's memoir of her life up to this point. And she talks about how several stops along the way, there were all of these reckonings with her body dysmorphia and and dressing up while she was on the road and dating women and how are women going to react to, you know, this person that I am inside that I don't feel comfortable exposing. Long story short, Tom Gable ended up finally being able to transition, came out as trans and became Laura Jane Grace. And out of that, we got an entire album, Transgender Dysphoria Blues. Great album. Which is a fucking smashing album. And it is so deeply personal. And it's it's a wonderful, wonderful piece of art from Laura Jane Grace. And like really showed a lot of depth with her and was this really excellent coming out party for Laura Jane Grace in this new phase of her life. So all of that is to say, we already had this like landmark, very intimate 
album. But I think with this one, with Stay Alive, there's, I think, two songs on the album that have like a lot of production to them. Mm-hmm. For the most part, they're acoustic. They're extremely stripped down. And taking away all of the the bells and whistles, I think, just lays all the sentiment bare. And it, it was like really fascinating to hear what's on her mind. Not all of it's pandemic themed, but it was just interesting to hear where she's at. And at times it was kind of scary to hear where she's at because mm-hmm. some of these songs seem like a cry for help. So it was a, a frequently harrowing but completely rewarding listen. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think, you know, I definitely got a message of, you know, there's still hope throughout the whole thing, you know, and, and starting out right off the bat with the swimming pool song, you know, it's every verse, you know, it starts out, I am a haunted swimming pool, I am emptied out and drained, but my capacity remains unchanged, where it's like, I might be beaten down right now, but I'm still going to be able to come back from this, you know, and there's several other lines. Um, but I know I will be full again, I have not yet become all that I will be. That's a pretty standard against me line as well. Yep. Um, you know, if you go back to like searching for a former clarity album, um, there's several things on that album that are saying I'm about to go through a change and, you know, go, listening to that album when it first came out, you know, those are things that I didn't realize until after, um, you know, Laura Jane Grace introduced herself to the world that I was like, Oh, all of those things that I was confused about with those previous albums, like why, you know, why is, why was there lyrics about dressing up in women's clothes and, and confessing childhood secrets of dressing up in women's clothes and compulsions you never knew the reasons to, um, you know, and, and lines like that. And then it all just made sense that this has been something that she had been dealing with for a long, long time. And to have dealt with that and probably, you know, what can be a very kind of toxic industry, you know, especially the rock music industry, maybe punk is probably a little more accepting, but you know, everywhere there's going to be assholes. And this is such a huge change that she was going through that it had to have been really difficult. So keeping those things inside and dropping these little hints throughout the albums was, I think, all she could do with kind of just like trying to get out the person that she had inside. And and it seemed like this album was a little bit triumphant in that she was finally a little bit more comfortable in her own skin. Um, and you know, with, with songs like this, that with those messages of hope saying, you know, this only feels like the death of everything, you know, where it's like, this might feel really bad, but I promise we're going to get through this. You know, it's just a very kind of uplifting, hopeful song. Um, and man, that voice. Yeah. Just for forever. I mean, back in the against me when she was still doing, you know, against me stuff and obviously against me still a band, but they just haven't been able to tour. That's why she did this album on her own. Um, but just an absolute powerhouse of a voice, you know, can just remain such a pure, clear note before it kind of breaks up and gets a little bit distorted. Um, she's just really incredible at that, you know, and hasn't lost a beat with that at all. Yeah, I've always been very jealous of her ability to have this very clear and you get to hear how beautiful it is because some of the songs are downright folky on this album. It's mm-hmm. not it's not like her doing an acoustic punk album. So it was really interesting to hear this other side of her voice. It can be really beautiful when she wants. And there's such a beauty in the those guttural punk screams that she can do. Um, yeah, just really interesting. And as far as um, the swimming pool song goes, I don't I'll, I'll start with this caveat. I had it earmarked for a later song, but I think it applies here with regards to her being transgender and to the material of her songs. I don't want to 
pigeonhole her and be like, whoa, all her songs are about that. And, oh, I can read into that anywhere that I like. But I do think to cut myself a little bit of slack, what I realized is you're never quite done. You never quite resolve something that's that big in your life, particularly when it was the the source of so much pain for you for so long. So yes, now she is living as the person she always saw herself as. But I think throughout the years, you will always have caused, I think it will always cause a lot of introspection and you'll struggle with it in different ways. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's inaccurate to read into certain messages that are, or certain lyrics that might apply to her, her status as a trans woman. Um, I just want to make it clear. I'm not like chalking that up to her only accomplishment. I don't think that's fair to her talent as a musician. I just feel compelled to explain myself sometimes to be sensitive to the issues. Um, And I think one of the things that she does is, is she does, um, she's very clear about what she's singing about. You know, it might, the lyrics might be a little bit vague, but the emotion's always there. Um, so it's, it's not like you're pulling it out of nowhere. Right. You know, it's there, there's clearly my capacity remains unchanged, meaning that there was a change that she went through. So it's not unfair to, to assume that that's what it's about. And I think it, it can unconsciously, if she didn't sit down and go, okay, I'm writing a song about the first time I took my first like treatment of hormones. Like if she's not specifically sitting down to write about that, I think unconsciously it can inform a lot of the themes that you Mm -hmm. tackle. Um, like I notice it as a screenwriter, a lot of the themes that I bring up in stuff, it's all connected and I don't really realize that I'm doing it. Um, but as far as the swimming pool song goes, I really took this to be a song about potential. Like you've got this pool. I'm a pool that's been emptied. I haven't lost my shape. I can be filled with something else. I'm a church that burned down. I was a structure. Now I'm burned down. Now I have the chance to rebuild. It's this song that's about, it's, it is, like you said, very hopeful. And it's about rebirth and second chances and, and starting anew. So it's got this very destructive kind of sad imagery, burning a building down draining a pool end of summer sad that kind of thing but it's all in service of this very hopeful message which is this isn't the end this is just the beginning of a new chapter Mm -hmm. so it set the stage very well to start off the album yeah it was a really great opener song um leads right into the calendar song um and you know i think this one you know lyrically a lot more dense um and you know certainly it's about you know it's kind of that old trope of being on the road you know what am i doing this for i've been away from home like you know it's where am i going with this um you know i think one of the lines that you know she repeats in the song only a fool would live their life like that as she's living her life like that you know so it's very much um she's very good at self-reflection you know never pulls any punches on herself and never has i mean it's you you will never hear an Against Me song, a Laura Jane Grace song, um, the Devouring Mother's song. You will never hear her sing a song where where she's really patting herself on the back um, without also having a balance of like why, what she did to have to overcome something. You know, so it's always, she's very, very honest about herself. And it's it's just kind of, this is one of those kind of clever tongue in cheek ones. Only a fool would live their life like that. Um, and it's just a very... You know, I kind of very much enjoyed it. You know, it's a very strong song for her. Yeah, I would agree. And it's it's uh, relatable in the sense that you can, again, put the pandemic filter on it and say, you know, there's a temptation with all of us locked up to sit and do a lot of stinking thinking and to just kind of tick the days off the calendar and wait for this to be over. 
But in doing so, we're going to lose valuable time that we can use to look inward or to make some positive changes that we need to make, discover new things. So again, she has this way of, of creating these very dire-sounding lyrics, these very dire-sounding songs that when you really drill down have a very positive message. And to your point, too, about how she's able to be introspective and not totally full of shit. I, I'm remiss in not remembering the exact title of the book, but in her book, she's totally willing to admit, I led people on, I was an asshole, I was internalizing other people's phobias. She talks about how um, hanging out with the other members of Against Me, not knowing what she was going through, they would drop the the six-letter gamer word that starts with an F. And mm -hmm. just like very casually not realizing what she was going through. And she's like, I can't hold that against them. It's kind of, you know, like when, you know, the Sex Pistols want to call, or British people in general want to call someone a cunt. It doesn't mm -hmm. have the same bite that it does in the U.S., where people yeah. get extremely offended by it. So like this punk ethos of like, fuck it, let it fly. You know, I don't like actually mean anything by it. Them actually not realizing that it's, it's giving her this complex where she now feels like she can't bring this very deep thing inside of her out to these people, her bandmates, mm -hmm. the people she spends the most time with. Yeah. So she's very honest about the way, how other people's behavior affects her, how her behavior affects other people. Um, she's a really fascinating person. I think she's mm -hmm. probably um, a healthy asshole, um, probably a difficult person, but an ultimately very rewarding person to get to know. And that's mm -hmm. what I love about this album is it's it's kind of giving us a peek at, at her unfiltered thoughts. Like she just kind of sang these out into a room and didn't realize she was being recorded. Yeah. And there was a couple songs on here where, you know, there's Against Me has, you know, has touched on a lot of, you know, kind of relationship stuff, but it was very like fucked up relationship stuff, you know, yeah. like the song, um, pretty girls on, you know, searching for a form of clarity. You know, there's, there's several of these where it's like very fucked up relationships. And obviously, you know, it was before the, before the chain, before, you know, Laura Jane Grace came out to the world. Um, you know, so it was before that. So obviously the relationships are going to be complicated, but now that Laura Jane Grace is Laura Jane Grace, you know, and, and that's been presented to the world, you know, I feel like those relationships have a better opportunity to work. Um, and some of the songs on here where it's still about relationships that went wrong, you know, they, they went wrong in much more sitcom-y kind of ways, like mm -hmm. things you'd see resolved on an hour TV show kind of way, you know, a much more mature and I guess adult way um, that they that they've gone versus just total self destruction, um, and I think that's a big change that I've that I see in this album versus you know her past ones, is that it's just instead of in this moment this in this moment anger you know there's this okay well this bad thing happened but this is what I did wrong what I'm going to improve on in the future and and fix this is kind of the sense that I get, um, and it just seems like you know she's she's seen enough of bad things in her life and she'd rather focus on the good. Um, and it was just a much different Laura Jane Grace than, than we'd had in the past. Um, but I, I really, I enjoyed seeing it. You know, I enjoyed seeing the growth. Absolutely. Um, the next song, not to take your role here, but shelter in place. I, um, I struggled with this one. I really couldn't get much out of the lyrics. They felt fairly uh, 
indecipherable to me and probably Mm -hmm. obviously extremely meaningful to her, but I was not able to really extract anything out of it. So I'm curious what you thought. So I kind of had the same, the same issue. I think this was a very kind of like stream of consciousness kind of, kind of song that I think had very good meaning to Laura Jane, but not, you know, to us, unless I knew what the specific thing was about, I feel like it's tough to really expound on any of it. Um, I will say (laughs) the line, there's always someone dying to leave where you're dying to get to, you know, that I thought was, was kind of a universal thing where it's like everybody, you know, think about when you've been excited to start a new job, but you start that new job and immediately you realize there's a couple people there that absolutely hate it and they can't wait to get out while you're excited to be there. You know, it's that kind of mentality and that dichotomy between, you know, how excited people are to be somewhere or to do something. Um, you know, I thought that was a really kind of clever way to put it. Yeah, I would agree. Grass is always greener kind of sentiment. It, it was, mm-hmm. I don't want to call it word salad and be insulting because it was obviously crafted with meaning. It was just, again, indecipherable to me. I wasn't really mm-hmm. able to pick out of that like, oh, well, this could be about this. So it was a very like kind of beat poetry almost. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, there was no song on this that I didn't, want to go back and listen to really um this one i think just as far as lyrically was a little tougher to understand but you know it doesn't i don't i don't i don't feel like i'm owed you know obvious meanings to songs or you know understanding like that so it doesn't really doesn't really bother me when i know her entire body of work and the quality of it that if there's one song i don't really get the lyrics to that then i'm good with that um but the next song return to oz and then so this i she made a couple of Wizard of Oz references yeah. on this album. So I, I figured you would you would catch that. And I don't know what it is. Because this was another one to me that was a little bit like, um, you know, a little bit like tough to unpack. You know, it didn't, I don't really know as far as smudge and blazes, green, green, green. I may be lifeless, but I value my hollow. You know, it clearly does mean something. And I just can't, I just can't figure out what it is. I don't know if you could pick it out. I have a theory on this one, yes. Okay. Um, I think this song is about getting high because okay. smudging is when you light like a little bundle of sage to like some people believe that can like purify negative mm-hmm. spirits from the house. You go around with this little bundle of sage and burn it. And that's called smudging. And then obviously blaze green, 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 smoke uh. pot. Um, I, can you read the lyrics to me again? The I'm not lifeless, I'm hollow, whatever. I may be lifeless, but I value my hollow. Yeah. So like I interpreted that as like, okay, I'm stoned, but this is like my time. So mm-hmm. part part of what you're saying about, you know, not every lyric needs to be for the consumer and needs to have some insanely profound meaning. I kind of took this song as like, well, not every song needs to be a home run. For those familiar with the Beach Boys, if you've heard the song, The Beach Boys Love You, or heard the album, The Beach Boys Love You. There's a song on it called Ding Dang that is just fucking absolute nonsense, but it's an earworm. It's like a one minute Mm -hmm. long, like just weirdo Brian Wilson experiment. I think sometimes, I think I said in the last one, the cigar is just a cigar. Sometimes you can just Mm -hmm. write a song about whatever creeps into your skull. It doesn't have to be the most profound. She's not obligated to speak on anything she's not interested in. So I Mm kind of took this as just like a lazy little like, you know, find a roach in the couch cushions and space out kind of song. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and I think that explanation about, you know, smudge, because I didn't know what smudge is. You know, that's, you know, it could have been like a brand name of something. I don't know, but that, that makes sense. Um, and then blazes green, green, green. Yeah, that makes sense. Probably uh, I went to those. theater school, Jeff. I know something about <laughs> witchcraft. Thank you. I mean, I should have realized she was talking about left-handed cigarettes. I should have. <laughs> I should have known. I should have known. Um, but we'll go back, and when we get to the song where I saw the um, Wizard of Oz reference again, we can talk about that a little more and see if there's something we can come up with for why that's you know why that was the case. Um, but for right now, just move on to the Mountain Song, which is the next one on the album. Um, this one was what I was talking about when she kind of is getting into you know, more about the relationships in a more kind of mature, less self-destructive way um, than, you know, the past songs that we've heard from her. Um, you know, especially the line, you know, when I said I loved you, I only meant as much as I know how to, you know, and that's, and that's a very, you know, that comes into, again, her being very self-aware, um, very self-critical, where she says, you know, I've got, I've got these issues that keep me from being able to give you the love that you deserve. Um, but the recognition of that, I think, is a very, very mature thing to have you know and i think if a relationship is going to go wrong you know really for everybody there's only one that ever works out right you know when you think about it so every other one didn't you know so i I don't think you need to take a totally antagonistic stance against you know every relationship you've had other than the one that you know works out for you i think it's just some just don't work you know they don't have to be toxic they don't have to have any other reason than you know you're just at different points in your life you know and i think this one was just she didn't feel like she had enough to give them, you know, so it kind of fell apart because she couldn't get to the same level that they were at. Yeah, and I I also, on top of that, got this image of there being such a level of regret. I mean, like, I got some lyrics this time. I'm not just going to rely on you. Hey! Um, but one of the verses is, it's a cold, dark room in an empty bed. You're staring out the window wondering what the fuck happened sitting at the table, eat your eggs and drink your coffee in silence. So obviously it's all this imagery about it's not happy alone imagery. It's not like now I can focus on self-care. No, this Mm -hmm. is clearly like you're saying I, I, I am the one who fucked up. Now here I am alone. And then it goes into I can only see one way out of this mess. No one's coming with me. Sure as fuck ain't coming back. And then when I said I loved you, I only meant as much as I know how to. So that's where I... I mean, it doesn't take a genius to get the heavily suicidal ideations, those overtones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of linked that to this idea of coming down the mountain, of her going up a, ma- a literal mountain to potentially throw herself off and make good on the promise. But it's this idea of, no, you have to live with this pain, live with the lessons you learned from how you fucked up or how the other person treated you or both, you have to, you owe it to yourself and anyone that comes next to take everything that you've learned about yourself and the other person and the relationship and go back and try again and do better. Come down the mountain, come down the fucking mountain. And then at the end, it's got that last line. I'm all fucked up, but I'm alive. And I was just like, ah, oh, chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, I thought it's it was really... Yeah, it just just really really good. Um, and then I think coming down the mountain dry, maybe dry means sober. You know, I decided that's maybe that's referencing when she gave up weed. You know, when when she gave up you know the things that were because I you know I follow her on Twitter, so I don't think coffee is out of the is out of the picture. <laughs> yeah, <think> that's <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I think she just is. You know, it seems like she's 
consistently going for runs and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think there is a major effort to keep herself healthy and everything during this. So I think that coming down the mountain dry, I think that might be referencing, you know, I'm going to back off. I'm going to reassess, quit those things that are giving me, you know, the psychosis enough to, to want, think about these things and, yeah. and move on. Yeah. Um, the next one, you know, this is super, uh, supernatural possession is the next one. I definitely put a star next to this one because it was just like, um, you know, just, uh, it gave me that very Jesse's girl kind of eighties pop rock vibe. Um, and it was, you know, it's kind of, um, whereas I didn't really like this kind of vibe when they came out with the white crosses album, you know, I think that was a big, um, that was kind of a big sticking point album for a lot of folks and, and certainly myself included as far as the change in against me sound, um, over the years, I've grown to like that album a whole lot, except for, you know, Teenage Anarchist is still, Ugh. you know, that one can still screw off. But um, the rest of it, like High Pressure Low, there's a lot of these songs that are just much more produced than than previous Against Me had been. Um, and this was the kind of song that would have been on that album, you know, where, where it's this kind of sound. But since I know how much growth that she's gone through and the changes that she's gone through and changes I've gone through as well, you know, as far as you know, my appreciation of music and kind of respecting where people are coming from with it. Um, you know, I think this one is, I, I really enjoyed it. I don't know how you felt about it. Well, the first thing I'll start off with is it's probably good that we're doing a podcast because it is fucking weird how synced up our minds are. And I can even show you what I wrote so that you believe <laughs> me. But um, my note was this feels like this could have come off of white crosses which is an album I still do not enjoy. And I will give that it's been a while since I've sat and really listened to it all the way through again. But I gave White Crosses a fair shake. Really, really did not like it. And as a result, I really didn't like this song. This one did mm-hmm. not do it for me. I would say it's my personal dud of the album. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. And that's fair. I mean, and that's that's the kind of thing when I heard it, it's very, very different from the rest of the album as far as as far as what it sounds like. But, you know, I kind of got the sense that she's just going to not worry about sounding a certain way, you know. So yeah. it's like if this is how she wants to get the message across, then I'm, <clears throat> you know, then I'm I'm good with it. And I thought the lyrics were, were decent enough. Um, you know, I'm having a hard time having a fun time of having a hard time finding faith in myself. Um, when the strange becomes familiar and there's no going back from where you've been, you know, and I think it's just a matter of her life had been completely upended for, you know, probably numerous reasons, you know, the, the relationship she, that she had previous to, um, the transition, you know, obviously are going to be different moving forward, even though they shouldn't be, you know, it should be just the, the same supportive relationships you've had but you know the reality of human beings is that people are flawed you know so they're not going to treat those things the same um so i think for me it's just as much as i didn't like that white crosses album i kind of thought back to it and was like well i wasn't in the same headspace with that album you know i wasn't dealing with the same kind of changes and things that that she was going through at that point so that's why i kind of put my knives away on that album a little bit at this point in my life, you know, and I can certainly understand because it, it is far different than, than the other against me albums were, you know, it's a very specific sound that against me had previous to that, very, you know, some searching for a former clarity, I think, you know, was, was more produced than a lot of people liked. And then you get to new wave that goes even further, mm-hmm. you know, and then you get to white crosses and that goes even further into the kind of pop rock production. But, you know, I think, I don't know. I think, you can you can fully 
you can fairly not like that album without, you know, and I think like you're doing, which is just admitting that you, you're just not a fan of it, but not because it changed the sound because you just didn't like it. You know, it just, yeah, it just didn't hit with me. And, and it's just, I, I really do need to go back and give it another honest listen because there's just some stuff that I don't, I don't want to feel the way about that album that I do about like you too. I mm-hmm. fucking hate you too. So when like yep. with or without you starts to play, I crash my fucking car. Like yep. I just hate that song. I have such a visceral reaction to it. So I like had a very unfairly visceral reaction to this where like once the chorus kicked in, I was like, ah, white crosses, I'm out. So that's, yeah. that's not, that's on me and my prejudices and not on Laura Jane Grace. So that's the caveat for that one. Well, I'm I'm fully confident that you gave it a completely fair shot. So I'm not, you know, it's, it's you can go back and listen if you want, but I mean, that that's the point of what we're doing here. Yeah. Is that we're not going to agree on every single thing, you know, and and I think, you know, if you have reasons for why you think it wasn't that great, then that's absolutely fair. Um, you know, but I will say I hope that we do agree on the next one, Hanging Tree, cuz we got some political Laura Jane back on this one. Spoiler alert, we we agree. This was fucking yeah. fire. Yeah, this one was I mean, you couldn't <laughs> if you just listening to it, maybe you don't understand the lyrics well enough to know what she's what she's talking about. I mean, but God is good and God is God is great. Now get the fuck out of the USA. And she's Christ screaming like the American way. Yeah, a burning crucifix and a hanging tree. Like talking about Trump, you know, talking about our government, the state of it right now, and and certainly going to get no disagreements from me about <laughs> about how our government is doing right now. Um, I think it's something that. You know, I, she felt like she needed to say, and she's always been very, very good at these political songs. I mean, every single one, you know, like Baby, I'm an Anarchist, mm-hmm. incredible song, you know, um, from her lips to God's ears on Searching for a Form of Clarity. I mean, there's so many, so many songs that are just really, really political and good, and this one is right up there with all of them. Yeah, uh, 100 fucking percent. Great lines. Uh, you can't trust a man with hair like that. Mm-hmm. Um Overtly calling out the rampant white supremacy and and the privilege of the rich elites and it, all of that. And it's extremely on the nose, but punk is the genre for that. Punk mm-hmm. is such an inherently political genre. And um, I personally feel like you can hit a point of diminishing returns on the anti-Trump stuff. And that doesn't mean, oh, give him a break or anything like that. It just means he's so fucking vile and everybody fucking hates him so much that it becomes difficult to find new ways to express that dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you look at someone like Chelsea Peretti's Twitter. I'm like, you're, you're like fully deranged. Like I agree with what you're saying, but this is all you do all day. He, he like is living in your head rent free. And I think it's difficult for a lot of people to translate the rage he makes them feel into something coherent but that's what Laura Jane Grace has done here. It is fucking mud in your eye, a middle finger. Fuck you, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's not reinventing the fucking wheel. It's certainly not reinventing Axl Rose. There's an a- against me fucking <laughs> bit for you. Yeah, um, it's, yeah. I mean, and when you say on the nose, I mean, we're talking about lines like automatic weapons and white supremacy, protected privilege without apology, liberty and justice for the wealthy. 
I mean, those are things that I, you know, I probably tweet about the same things, but it's, you know, I think as far as politically, I'm very much in line <laughs> with this, which is, you know, fuck what's going on right now. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's nice, nice to have Laura Jane's voice back in the, back in the mix on this, on this situation. It's really good. Agree. Yeah. Um, and then moving on here uh, to please leave. Now, this one was another one that I think, you know, kind of goes along with, let me get the name right here. Um, what's the mountain song? Yeah. The one we, we talked about just a couple songs ago, which is about, you know, kind of her messing up, you know, a relationship, you know, this is the same kind of, same kind of thing where it's, you know, talking about wanting to leave, but not necessarily a specific place. I don't think just kind of the life and, and status that they're in at that moment. Um, but it was again, a really kind of powerful song for me anyway. Yeah. I, I think I got a little less out of it than I would have liked to in terms of interpretation. Um, but the one thing I did take away was almost this motif of shoving someone away. Like mm-hmm. I'm self-destructing this is what I do. This is my go-to move. I'm really fucked up and I'm going to kind of push you away now and do whatever it takes to, to, I mean, the song's called please leave. So mm-hmm. for your own good, so that I can begin my customary process of melting down, whatever you want to insult or insert there. Um, yeah. I just, I just took it as, as the anthem for, for self-destruction and pushing people away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think it's, you know, there's, it's very tough for anybody. I think that I listen that I've listened to, to match Laura Jane's ability to kind of lay these things bare and be so honest about these situations, but it's certainly appreciated because I think there's a lot of folks out there that, you know, feel, have these self-destructive thoughts and, you know, have these things. And with everything that she's been through, um, you know, knowing that she's still able to produce something of this quality maybe gives other people you know, the thought that, you know, it's not, it's not over for me either. You know, if she was able to get through all this stuff, it's not over for me either, you know? And I think, um, you know, it's always got that kind of underlying bit of hope and all the songs, you know, it's, it's very, um, you know, it's very much appreciated to have this album right now. Yeah, I think so. Again, the kind of folkish aspects of it as well, I think make it, um, Make it a very interesting listen right now, and and the introspective nature of it is is greatly appreciated. Yeah. Um, the next one again, I'm kind of like jumping into your territory here, but to to follow through with this, um, kind of little interpretive patch here, because mm-hmm. these the these three songs, please leave this next one. Why can't I be you? And then the ice cream song. Um, and then even Magic Point, and you could even extend it to Blood and Thunder, so almost the mm-hmm. rest of the entire album. Yeah. Um, they're, they're very open to interpretation of lyrics, but especially Why Can't I Be You? So my like linear OCD ass zeroed in on why does she make it Kant like Immanuel Kant, the philosopher? Mm-hmm. And admittedly, I don't know as much about... The big thing I know about Kant is he doesn't like lying. He thinks that... Part of humanity is intrinsically we are self-determined, but at the same time, if you want to really like transcend your humanity, you will hold yourself to the standard of always being honest. So again, you can tie that into her gender dysphoria and her coming out as transgender and kind of lying to the world about who she is. And I don't 
mean to project the negative connotation of lie, but it was it was a lie by necessity because the trans people still face wanton violence today. So she mm-hmm. had no idea what to expect. So for her own protection, she had to tell a lie about who she was at the time. So I, I again, hate to chalk that up to all she really is, but that was really the only thing I could think about in terms of tying Kant and the title into it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of imagery in the song about talking about if I could be anybody else, I'd be you, which if you, again, have read her book, she sort of had this relationship with who she was when she was a man and who she saw herself as when she was a woman and would always ask these questions like, would I be the kind of woman that would be in a heteronormative relationship? Would I, you know, am I potentially also gay or are you gay if you're a woman who likes men? Like all these like questions that can tie you up in knots. She would kind of have this dialogue with Tom Gable would have this dialogue with Laura Jane Grace it was very interesting to read about, and I got shades of that through this song as well. If I could be anybody else, I would choose to be you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and I and I think it, it's also there's it's just kind of like little snapshots of you know a relationship with somebody and they can't really connect, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 it goes along with what you're saying that if if she's not able to be her true authentic self, you know, those relationships are gonna be kind of starting on. Again, not a not a lie. Not saying it in that manner, but kind of dishonest ground. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's uh, something where it's going to be tough to build anything on there when the foundation is is shaky like that. When when you haven't been totally honest about who you are, you know, that's kind of the basis, you know, or the this the starting point for a relationship. You know, is being honest with each other. You know, for one that's going to work anyway. Right. Um. You know, and and I think you know, and again, I think we're just make it clear we're not saying she's she was a liar for that but just you know you're she was lying to herself maybe a little bit you know with that kind of thing and it's just you know it's it's tough to have a solid relationship you know you're going to get all these misconnections if you're not totally connected with yourself and yeah to start with yeah i totally agree yeah and then um ice cream song now this one i mean did did she write it when she was on a lot of drugs that's kind of the that's kind of the sense I got where it was like basically, you know, anytime, you know, that I that I'd done like mushrooms in the past, you know, you feel this deep connection with the world around you and mm-hmm. like you feel like you're really a part of it. And that's kind of the sense that I got with this. I yeah, I would agree. I got shades of that as well. And of course, unfortunately, we talk about how the unconscious mind kind of leads us towards themes that we want to see that are relevant to us. Um I did get this kind of psychedelic because, you know, I, I too have dabbled in the dark arts and uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes you, you drop acid or you take mushrooms and you, you feel this immense connection to the natural world around you and you have this kind of richer sense memory. Like I remember one time in college when I did it, I was in a really dark place and my friend and I took mushrooms and then we walked down towards the waterfront and it sounds hokey, but like the closer we got to the waterfront, the more I was able to like divest myself of my neuroses. And it felt like taking off a layer of your humanity and just turning into like pure oneness with everything around you. You can't really feel the air. You are the air. You don't really see the moon. You are the moon. And it's total hippy dippy stuff, but 
It's the only way to describe in our language the the experience that you have. So I definitely got some of that with this. And then, of course, at the end, she says something to the effect of, this is all stuff I can take with me and remember as I die. So mm-hmm. it's I think, yeah. unfortunately, that part of the trip where reality sneaks back in on you and it's like, just remember, this isn't going to last. Yep. Someday the chemicals will stop firing and you will become worm food. Yep. And and I think it's that the sense, the lines that really kind of gave me the sense that it was about some psychedelics is I wanted to make it all a part of me. I wanted to take it with me when I have to leave. And it's that kind of ending part of when you're doing the psychedelics, when you're like, oh man, I really wish I could just get that connection back, you know, and get that feeling back, you know, and I think that's something, um, you know, anybody that's ever done them, you know, is going to understand that is you have that such a deep connection that's like, you feel like you're, you've opened your eyes up to a whole different kind of world. And then all of a sudden it starts to fade away and you go back to the regular one, you know, and I think that's, mm-hmm. that's the kind of sense with the, I guess you would call that the chorus, you know, in, in the middle there, that that's kind of the sense that it gave me for that. I'll tell you what, I will never taste green apples again, the way that I did that <laughs> one time, yeah. have, have myself a little trip in college, ate a fucking granny Smith apple. And I was like, this is it. This is the the peak of humanity. Human achievement right here. The apple. See, I would always, it was always, I, I would need to have like really good beer for some mm. reason. Like I always liked having like a really nice high quality beer just to like take a sip and I just take a sip and be like, hmm, take another sip. Hmm. Like thinking I was just analyzing it so deeply, <laughs> but you know, it was just because it tasted really good. <laughs> you know? Better have another sip. Yeah, better have just to check on the tannins on this one, you know. <laughs> uh, moving on to the magic point. Um, this is so this is the one where he, he starts. She starts out saying um, in an emerald city in a bitter, broken dream in an emerald city in a bitter, broken dream. So that I was like, emerald city. Is she talking about an actual city or the Wizard of Oz emerald city where the wizard is? Um, and. And then I remembered, I was like, oh, there's another song that has that in there. So that's got to be it. And so I don't know what the connection is here with Oz. If it's just like this place that's supposed to be where her problems are now fixed or something like that. Um, Or if it's just a coincidence that she happened to reference it twice on the same album. Yeah. And that's a good question because I definitely thought about it. I'm like, okay, Emerald City. I know some people call Seattle that, but... Now there's references to Route 41, and that goes from, like, Florida to Michigan or some shit. Um, So, like, my very linear, literal brain was like, well, geographically, where is she talking about? And then you take a step back from that, and they're like, okay, what can we potentially read into it with the Wizard of Oz imagery? And I'm not really sure, because from a screenwriting point of view, if you look at that movie thematically, it doesn't really have much to go on like if you have a movie where it's like liar liar is a weird example but mm-hmm. jim carrey's character uses lying as a crutch and it's it's uh, affecting his relationships so you put him in a situation where he cannot tell a lie and it's his his one crutch and now he has to adapt to a world where he can't do this anymore and he grows and he changes and he learns something along the way and it's it's standard structure in a screenplay you know, the by the end of it, the character has changed in a fundamental way. And in The Wizard of Oz, I'm not really sure how Dorothy has changed, which makes it difficult to read into, like, thematically, what is that movie about? 
So I had a hard time kind of thinking about that and applying it to what she might have been talking about here. And then I kind of arrived at this idea that maybe it's just about heading to a place that's going to change your perspective. Like the tornado comes and the movie goes from black and white to technicolor. So maybe she thinks that's where she's heading. Maybe Magic Point is the place where she gets the perspective she needs. Her outlook changes. Things get better. Things are at least different. Mm -hmm. That was as much as I could get out of that because I, I wasn't sure how else to apply the, the Oz stuff. Yeah, and I, I think it's just some – it's definitely – you know, I think what can we can obviously pull from it, it is it is a journey towards some sort of like self-discovery. Um, you know, what the Emerald City represents, if it is a Wizard of Oz reference and not talking about Seattle or, you know, maybe another city that has that nickname. Um, you know, it, it I don't really know. Um, it, I would lead to, I would tend to believe it's about Wizard of Oz since, you know, their return to Oz is the name of another song on the album. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm not I'm just not totally sure um, but it is absolutely some sort of journey towards self-discovery whatever that means um, you know the reference of route 41 um, hooks into the dreams that you said that goes from Florida to Michigan uh don't quote me on Michigan but it definitely goes from Florida up to the Canadian border I'm pretty sure yeah so that you know goes that direction so it's you know hooks into the dream which is maybe getting out of Florida because I know um, Laura Jane has had a pretty iffy relationship with with Gainesville, where they're from. Yeah. Um, and I think makes a point anytime someone says, "Oh, you're from Florida," right? She says, "No, I haven't been there since like 2000, whatever." Um, and I think probably because there's a lot of really bad memories there and and really tough times that they went through. You know, I think there's you know a lot of drugs, a lot of drinking that happened there, and and probably some things that she regretted doing. Um, so I think that's what that is. And then drive north on LSD. Um, that's, I would assume Lakeshore drive in Chicago. Um, cause that's where she lives now. Um, so I think that's what she's referencing is like kind of always like on the road to somewhere. And I think that somewhere is self-discovery, which is, you know, I think where, where this song was headed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And it actually kind of, um, for me bleeds in with blood and thunder. The next one. Mm -hmm. More of these ruminations on identity and self-discovery. Because, again, the lyrics on this were a little dense. And sometimes I cry out for a very literal translation of lyrics. And it, it frustrates me. But, again, that's a, a me issue. It's not the artist obfuscating anything. It's just the way my brain, because it's such a fucking pragmatist sometimes. For, like, mm -hmm. being a creative, you would think I could just, like, let shit go sometimes. But usually my initial approach is always, like, very mathematical. So sometimes in lyrical analysis, I fall into that trap. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I don't know. What did you think of Blood and Thunder? Um, I thought it was. I thought it was good. I really thought the the strongest part of it was um, seat thirty six D, a stranger, a stranger with a face that reminds me of who I used to be, and what I used to need. Uh, maybe I still want it. Maybe that's still me. Um, I think what you were referencing before with with the confusion about you know before the transition, you know what kind of person is Laura Jane Grace going to be? You know, what kind of relationships is she going to have? You know, and I think, um, you know, this clearly taking place after the transition, as far as the timeline goes, um, seat 3060, a stranger with a face that reminds me of who I used to be, maybe someone that looks like she used to. Um, and then, and what I used to need, and maybe I still want it, maybe that's still me is like, 
I may have gone through this transition, but did my feelings about my relationships change or just my feelings about myself? Um, and I think this really leads to, you know, kind of exploring that confusion a little bit. Yeah. And did you fundamentally change as a person, particularly on the inside, just because you're, you're sort of changing your presentation to the world, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, I'm again, I have no frame of reference, but I'm sure that's a really difficult hurdle for individuals in the trans community to reconcile with is you are going to show people ostensibly the real you that was always inside of you, but they know you as something else that was carefully crafted, but you are still that person. You just kind of change this one thing about yourself, whether it was to fit in a religious household or you just didn't have a frame of reference for what you were going through, et cetera. Um, so it's a lot of moving parts for someone like Laura Jane Grace to try to put all together. And that's why, again, I, I don't want to chalk everything up to being trans, but I also don't think it's doing her a disservice because I don't think you build that beautiful city of the self in a day mm-hmm. or a year. I think you do it over a lifetime. I think her entire identity, her legacy will not be done until she is dead and gone from this earth, which Mm -hmm. sounds like a morose thing to say, but I also don't think that's unique to trans people. I think all of us will continue to Mm -hmm. learn things about ourselves until we're gone. So it's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And I think that goes back to swimming pool song. You know, the first one on the album, I have not yet become all that I will be. You know, I think that's a very, very accurate way to look at it. Absolutely. Agree. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to have to read the title here. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the next one, So Long, Farewell, Auf Wiedersehen, Fuck Off, is the name of this next song. Obviously, play on Sound of Music. Um, you know, I, I would much rather listen to Laura Jane Grace than anything from Sound of Music. So this was welcome, you know, for me. Um, but for the, as far as lyrically, I don't think there was much to this one. I couldn't make out half the lyrics. Yeah, I, I think that real was real hard. And that was a that's a problem right now is that it's so new. There's not a lot of lyric sites that even have the album lyrics and the ones that do have like question marks and things that are missing and everything. So you can try to pick it out. Um, but in this song, the vocals are set pretty far back in the mix. Um, musically, I like this one a lot. This is one of those ones that was very produced um, on yep. the album. You know, and I think, you know, definitely a departure from the folky kind of acoustic punk sound that she had on on a lot of it. Um, you know, musically, I really like this one did not sound much like anything I'd heard her do before, um, which was kind of a welcome, welcome thing. Definitely a little bit more electronic uh, elements that she got on this album that I don't think they ever did for their first like four or five albums. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty good, but as far lyrically, you know, it's not a bad song. I just don't know what, what they're supposed to, what we're supposed to get out of it. Yeah, I would I would say all I've really got to contribute is it was more of a vibe than anything, more of an interlude than a song hard and fast. So Yeah. Yeah. Um so the the ultimate song on the album, um, Old Friend in parentheses stay alive. Um now this one I really, really liked. You know, mm-hmm. I thought this one as far as you know, it kind of fit in with that um you know, the the title track from you know, from their third album, um, it, you know, in that searching for a former clarity, you know, and then a couple other songs on that one as well, you know, cause that album was about, you know, 
not we didn't know it at the time, but that album was kind of about them saying goodbye to their old ways of doing things like, you know, they're becoming more popular and more famous. So people are going to think they're selling out and all the, all these things. And then, you know, without knowing it, obviously Laura Jane, probably the biggest thing that's going on with the band is that she's struggling with this internal conflict about how to become the person that she really feels that she is, you know? Um, and this song I think really would have fit in perfectly with that group of songs in that era. So, you know, and that being my favorite against me album, that this song really nailed it for me. Searching for a former clarity is your favorite. Oh yeah. Really? I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Oh, cool. I really love oh, yeah. that one too. I think that's the only one I have on vinyl. So yeah, that's, I mean that one, I mean, I have pretty much all of them except for, I don't, I don't have white crosses, but I have the rest of them on vinyl. And I mean, yeah, searching for a former clarity is, is far and away my favorite one. I mean, I like as the eternal cowboy, um, and reinventing Axl Rose just fine and new waves even pretty good. Um, but yeah, searching for a former clarity with, I mean, they had the pretty girls on there. I mean, yep. problems on there, the title yeah. track, um, how low is on there joy. I mean, there's, there's so, so many great hard songs on that album that, that is just, yeah, I felt like it was for me at that point in my life was such an emotional release as well. Cause there were so many things on that album. I was angry about things, you know, I was, you know, I was also in a band. So that song problems was, was really speaking to me about the struggle of trying to do that. You know, it was just in this song really kind of stuck in there with me as well. Like with that kind of air of that music. Yeah. 100%. It was a very like old school against me flavor. Um, and I, it's, it's just like dripping in these themes of isolation and desperation, but it ultimately is very encouraging because I got the sense in the end that the person to whom she was singing, whether you choose to interpret that as to herself or to somebody else to just fucking stay alive, my old friend, it's clearly something meaningful to her. It's either her ego or a literal actual friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's against me at the peak of their powers encapsulated in Laura Jane Grace as the driving force behind against me. Um, I don't have much more to say other than it is. It's just, it's those classic vibes. It was a hell of a way to cap off the album. Uh, vocally, it was a, a fucking tour de force for Laura Jane Grace. You just really feel the emotion in the way that she's singing the song. Mm-hmm. And it, it just like sticks to your fucking ribs. By the time you're done, you're like, oh man, that is that song is in there and you're not getting it out anytime soon. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I've listened to this album three times now, um, you know, so it's, and that's just in the last few days. And, and certainly I imagine this one's probably going to get about as much play as any of the other Against Me mm-hmm. albums did, um, you know, and I think. It's just this song was was really really strong and a great way to end the album. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say stream it, stream it, stream it. Absolutely get this one. Um, you know, it's a very very good album. It's a quick listen. It's like 28, 29 minutes, mm-hmm. little bite sized songs. You will not regret it. Stream it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and moving on, um, Alex, I'll let you intro this one. Well, this one is a listener submitted album um so little backstory i used to be the lead singer in a 90s cover band in burlington vermont called laser dad laser with a z um 
And when I moved to New York City, they had to get a new singer, and they brought in the incredibly talented Jesse Taylor. And if you are from the Burlington area, you're probably familiar with Jesse Taylor Band. Um, she has been a part of many other projects. Um, super fucking talented musician with a, a large wealth of influences, one of which is Courtney Barnett. So I had heard this album before at her behest, but it had been a while and I haven't really like sat. That's why I like doing this podcast because it, it makes you kind of take an academic approach to music, to listen through it once to kind of get your feet under you and to then really unpack everything and then bring it to the table and have a discussion where even more stuff comes out. So I'm, I'm really excited for this one. Um, and I want to start it by posing a question to you, actually. Mm -hmm. So I know you're not a big Steely Dan guy, but I am. And I would go ahead and call Courtney Barnett. I, I know you like to give people their distinct identity, but in my mind, you could call her a millennial Steely Dan. Now, Steely Dan was two people. And I think friend of the pod, Andy Kuzman, very accurately said Steely Dan is an aesthetic and they're more composers than Steely Dan was a band. Mm -hmm. um, but the one like very readily identifiable thing beyond their sound is lyrically, they had these mile-a-minute, witty, dark, sarcastic lyrics that were very, very, very painstakingly crafted. And Courtney Barnett has that exact same flavor where she can just... like I've, I've got all these... I printed out some of the greatest hits here for lyric examples, but... She can tie you in knots with the way that she can turn a phrase. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I read referred to her as the millennial Bob Dylan. But I mostly think in terms of that analysis, I think it's easy to get that out of her cadences. A lot of the time when she is singing, it is done a lot like this. She doesn't really necessarily do a lot with her voice. It's usually like very much... Mm -hmm. in a very specific rhythm, similar to Bob Dylan. So it's not to like take that away from her, especially if that's something she would consider complimentary. But I guess it got me thinking, and I'm like, I don't know if we'll ever see anything like Bob Dylan again. Not that I'm the biggest Bob Dylan guy, but you look at his place in pop culture, music, our nation. I mean, he came along at a time where there had really been nothing like that. There had been protest songs, but mm -hmm. he just found a way to, to popularize them and to, to really kind of transform the folk scene, the folk rock scene. Um, and I'm not saying it can't be done. It's just my knee-jerk reaction is, I just don't know if you'll ever see anybody that shatters the earth the way he... And he didn't necessarily do it all at once either, but... That's just such a big pair of shoes to fill. It's kind of like the heir apparent to Michael Jordan. Do you want to give that designation to LeBron or will no one ever match that intensity again? Yeah. So I don't know about you. Where do you fall on this whole idea of will there ever be another Bob Dylan, so to speak? Um, so I, I don't think so. As far as just the cultural influence and what they did politically and kind of how they shaped a movement and were also the voice of things going on at the time. You know, I think because everybody has so much access to so much information now and there's so many different ver ver genres of music. I mean, there was no EDM when Bob Dylan was making Free Will and Bob Dylan, you know, yeah. there was none of that at that point. So I think just because in his specific time, 
um, you know, that's why he was able to be, you know, it was the right place, right time. You know, if Bob Dylan just started today, you know, I think he would be good. You know, I think people would, would see that he's a very talented individual, but you know, a freewheeling Bob Dylan or highway 61 revisited, you know, came out today. I don't think those land and have the same impact that they did then. Um, so I think because of all of the just wealth of music available to us, information available to us, the, the kind of instant gratification, you know, way that our society is. Um, I think it's impossible to have somebody else like Bob Dylan, but the comparison I think is that because I did write that down, um, for the second song, um, pedestrian at best. And we can, well, we're skipping over the first one, which we need to talk about. Um, but I definitely did say she's got Dylan or even Springsteen levels of wordplay, um, with her internal, with her internal rhymes, you know, that's the sort of thing that you see, you know, the best hip hop artists do like Kendrick mm-hmm. Lamar and people like mm-hmm. that, where it's just, you can, he- you listen to the song and you don't necessarily need to hear sp- the specific words. Um, but you can just tell when you hear the cadence and how they rhyme and fit together, it's like, like Eminem would do that. You know, people that are these people that you put up on this pedestal of great, great lyricists, you know, I really think she's there at least on this album. You know, I haven't listened to a lot of her other stuff. Um, but on this album, I definitely got those vibes that it's like, lyrically, she's a powerhouse right up there with, with anybody you want to say. And I, I agree that I think like, lyrically and the the spirit behind what she's trying to do. Yeah. It's a, it's an apt comparison, whether you want to go with Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan or Steely Dan. And to, again, kind of compare her to her forebears. That is accurate. I think just in terms of like a world shaping or a, a generation shaping power, I think you're absolutely right. Our attention is just way too divided and, a Bob Dylan would get lost in the shuffle to the point where, unfortunately, I think someone like Courtney Barnett gets a little mm-hmm. lost in the shuffle because she doesn't like not to denigrate someone like Megan the Stallion or Doja Cat or something. But if Courtney Barnett had a big giant ass. It's a little easier to market than quirky, you know, queer singer songwriter from Australia. It's yeah. kind of a hard sell for some people. So I, I think she's got all the talent in the world, but it's a little in some ways unfair to put the Bob Dylan mantle on her because a, she's also doing a completely different thing, but B that's just like so much to live up to. And I think what she's trying to do is more than ape somebody like you. The one thing you can tell from a deep dive into this album is she's just got so much to say that is just so unique to her. She's not being anyone else. Yeah, and I think she does a really, really good job at being very, very observational. And where that can fall flat with a lot of people, she ties it back into, you know, an emotion. You know, where it's like there, especially in the first song, "Elevator Operator." You know, it just tells a story about a guy that you know got mistaken for somebody that wanted to commit suicide. You know, a friend had told her a story, so it's this completely weird story about this guy getting you know, that someone thought he looked dirty or disheveled and was like, Oh, are you going up to the roof to kill yourself? Like, and then the way that she says that the person like tries to help him is don't jump little boy. Don't jump off that roof. You've got your whole life ahead of you. You still in your youth. I'd give anything to have skin like you. Yeah. You know, it's like her, like this rich white lady in this elevator with him, you know, her idea of like giving him a compliment enough to like stay alive is like, you got really nice skin. 
like that very, very materialistic, superficial kind of thought where it's like, yeah, that's a nice compliment to say that somebody's got nice skin. But if someone's about to go jump off a roof, I'm going to probably come out with a little bigger gun than you've got nice skin. You know what I mean? It's just very much that what we were talking about, why Bob Dylan, you know, why he couldn't happen in our, you know, in our, in our lifetimes, in our time period, our generation is because there's people, so many people like this, where their idea of saving someone from suicide is just saying they've got very nice skin. Well, and on the opposite side of that coin, it is, it's such a superficial sentiment, but the fact that this superficial person took the time at all to give a shit about this guy and go, don't do it. You've got so much to live for. Like you're pretty skin is like just very sweet and very genuine in its Mm -hmm. own like quirky little fucked up way. And that's the stuff. It never feels like Courtney Barnett is passing judgment on the everyday individual. She's definitely got a lot to say about corporations and governments Mm -hmm. and polluters and stuff like that. And as, as we'll see as we go on, but it never once felt like, you know, get a load of this old bitch who doesn't understand the gravity of suicide. And if this guy was going to kill himself, there's no judgment there. It's just painting a scene between two human beings. Same deal when, like, he rips off his tie and gives it to a homeless man at the train. Mm-hmm. Just, like, these little human moments that are just so mundane but totally fucking beautiful. Yeah, and I think it's because, you know, from when he, I guess, when he was telling her the story, you know, and, and thankfully this album's been out for a few years, so there's plenty of analysis to be done on on these lyrics, which I think really, with how dense and wordy she can get, um, it really helped me kind of put some things in context to see what these songs were about. Um, you know, and when her friend was telling her this story that, you know, he's just like, I've got, I had no intentions of doing that. You know, like, I don't, I don't want to do that at all. Like that wasn't at all what I wanted to do. It's like almost that misinterpretation that we have with other people that we assume that what's going on in our lives is going on in theirs as well. You know, so it's like this woman, maybe she's got some suicidal thoughts or something. And so she sees somebody else that looks a little disheveled going to a top floor of a building. She's like, wait, if they're feeling like me, you know, that's not a good spot for them to go. So it's like this way that we, I feel like it's also talking about how we're we're just not connected with each other anymore. So it's nice that she reached out like that, but it's like, why is her first thought suicide? Well, and he even says in the the context of the lyrics, like uh lady, I think you're projecting much. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're, Bang on! <laughs> yeah, it's just it's say. just kind of it's funny to think about, but that's what I figured out through this album that she's so good at is taking these little moments where you, if you just at face value they're just a little like a little vignette with somebody's life, you know. Yeah. But then you look at why they might be reacting that way or, or why they're interacting with someone that way, and you get these, you know, it's not always super deep emotions or these huge big messages, but it's very human things that are happening within these songs. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Um, and then the one I was mentioning before, Pedestrian at Best, five stars, A+, plus, Liquid Hot Magma. Love this song. This one was so good. This is what I love. I just want to point out one chunk of the, the lyrics here. And it may not be as spectacular to anyone else as it is to me, but it's, again, taking the simple and just tying it in fucking knots. I must confess I've made a mess of what should be a small success, but I digress. At least I've tried my very best, I guess. This, that, the other, why even bother? It won't be with me on my deathbed, but I'll still be in your head. It's like 
so many times, a lot of the, like the 1975 in particular, the much maligned D bags, but <laughs> anybody that like is forcing a rhyme, you know what I mean? Like I went to the store, I couldn't take it anymore. It just falls flat on its fucking ass. But she never once loses the meaning of what she's trying to say here and somehow lucks into all these things that rhyme so specifically, confess, mess, success, digress, best, guess, just bam, 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 bam. And it's none of it's forced. It mm-hmm. just comes to her and she just tetrises it into its full meaning. It's, again, just those little things that she can do with the lyrics that takes a song from good to great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and she does it in a way, you know, it, it kind of, that sort of wordplay kind of harkened back to um, Bruce's version, you know, the original version of Blinded by the Light. Mm. You know, when he's like, Mad Men, Drummers, Bummers, and Indians in the Night. You know, it's it's these little internal rhymes that she does that I think really, because you can rhyme the end of the line. I mean, every song I ever wrote in my life, you know, the ends of the lines rhyme. But it was when when I could find those extra little bits that connected one line to the other that I really felt I was finding some success with the songs I was writing. And she does it like it's nothing. Like it's yeah. absolutely nothing. You know, and it, it's just those internal rhymes, you know, when you, you know, before the podcast, even I, one of my favorite things to do was to read the lyrics of my favorite songs and my favorite bands and really understand what they're saying one, so I could sing along to them correctly. And two, so I could understand what they were dealing with, you know, so I could connect to it a little better. Um, so I think, you know, with all of those that I've, that I've read, like, obviously I've read every Bruce Springsteen lyric that's ever existed. I've read just about every Bob Dylan lyric that's ever existed. I've read every John Mellencamp and, and John Prine lyric that I've, that's ever existed. All these great, great songwriters. And the fact that I was just floored time and again by this album and the way that she fit those around. I mean, it was the same as I felt when I listened to like jungle land, you know, it's the same kind of like, just, you are, a master at your craft. And this was her first album. This was her debut. Mm-hmm. And you just catch yourself frequently being like, wait, did she just say that? Did I just hear that correctly? And not that it's an incendiary thing to say. It's just, my God, that was clever. Did I hear yeah. that right? Yeah, exactly. Constantly I mean, on this album. Yeah. Every, every single time it's, it's really, really good. I mean, it like put me on a pedestal and I'll only disappoint you. Tell me I'm exceptional. I promise to exploit you. It's like these very real, like, tell me I'm exceptional. I'm going to get my ego up and I'm going to use you. You know what I mean? It's like these very these little things where it's like they sound like they're just tossed off rhymes, but every single one of them means something. Well, and the whole the song as a whole I took to mean about kind of grappling with this influx of, of fame and hangers on all at once. And so pursuant to that, I wonder about the title pedestrian at best. I wonder if someone ever said that about her. Oh, her music is pedestrian at best. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Because it's yeah. like to tie back to Against Me, how there's the song Mediocrity Gets You Pairs. Do you know the story mm-hmm. behind that? Mm-mm. Um, so uh, there was a record label that was courting Against Me after uh, Cowboy. And they sent, at the time, again, sorry to dead name, but Tom Gable, um, sent Tom Gable this like very ornate, package like you know enticement swag bag mm-hmm. and sent the entire rest of against me one fruit basket and i can't remember which guy it was but he looked at it and goes huh i guess mediocrity gets you pears <laughs> and there we go yeah 
Yeah, I think it's it's very. I think she's very well aware of the industry. It's very tongue in cheek. Um, you know, give me all your money, and I'll make you. I'll make some origami, honey. I think you're a joke, but I don't find you very funny. You know, it's just these very little, like clever little jabs, and it's like I would never want her to write a song about me. Yeah, fuck like no. never. Yeah, I'd feel like I would just it'd be like death by a thousand cuts. Yes, one terrible. <laughs> yeah. um, next song, an illustration of loneliness, sleepless in New York. Um, this one I think kind of slowed it down a little bit, um, but again, it's like it's very you know. I read that it's like a very stream of consciousness type of thing, but it, like you read that, you hear that, you think it's all. Oh, it's going to be a bunch of nonsense. You know, it's going to be a bunch of stuff like somebody would write if they're on drugs, and it's like these the way that she goes from I'm just laying in the bed, looking, staring at the wall, literally the picture of boredom, like I'm laying in bed, staring at the wall, you get lines like I pretend the plaster is the skin on my palms and the cracks are representative of what is going on. I, I lose a breath. My love line seems intertwined with death. Like she's just projected all these feelings onto the plaster that has cracks in it. Like, so you go from what you would do, like you just sit there watching paint dry. You talk about how bored you are. You're just staring at the wall. And then all of a sudden there's just this really, clever turn that she does and all of a sudden it's about something a lot more than that i mean imagine fucking sorry to dunk on her swifties but imagine fucking taylor swift trying to invoke that same sentiment staring at the ceiling and your thoughts wander what would she come up with i i i don't think it would have half the imagery or half the meaning that's inherited so it's not even just courtney barnett like again kind of a, a stream of consciousness song but it's still packed with meaning. It's not just mm-hmm. like, I wonder why raccoon hands look like little people hands. Yeah. There's a point to everything she's saying, talking about palmistry and the love line and your lifeline and all these other things. Like, Yeah, and it's, again, things that she's probably interested in. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. You know, so it's like it's you get you get such a picture of her as a person as well as she's writing these things. And it's just, I don't know, this whole album was just a really a joy to listen to. And I would have probably never listened to it. So I'm glad that this one got, got requested. Cause I, I loved it. Leave it to Jesse Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Fucking the diamond in the rough. And I mean, it, it's no surprise. I mean, I've listened to, to Jesse's music as well. Um, and I can definitely tell that Courtney Barnett is one of her big influences. And, you know, I've known um, guy in her band, Nick Trice for a, a long, long time. You know, I went to, he played on a little league team with him um, and then went to college together, you know, so I've just, I've known him a very long time and I know what kind of music he's into. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's very much um, like I've been to against me shows with him and coheed shows mm-hmm. with him. So, well, you know, we didn't go together, but you know, we knew each other were there and had beers and stuff, but it's like, um, you know, I knew exactly where her influences were coming from, you know, going back and listening to this album. And it's just oh, it's so good. I'm so glad oh, yeah. this one got requested. Um, and moving on to the next, uh, small poppies. So this was another one that I think was a little bit slowed down. Um, and this one I think was probably as far as like, you know, unpacking things. I felt like this one, there wasn't as much there to unpack. I felt like it was a pretty nice breezy song. I, so first of all, this one, and I talked to actually Jesse about this. It's really hard to pick a favorite off this one. But Small Poppies might be mine mm-hmm. because it's doing a lot of things. So like you say, there's not a ton to unpack in the lyrics. Um, I know that Tall Poppy Syndrome refers to when someone is doing really, really well, 
there's a tendency for other people to want to break them down to their level and, and not let them enjoy the success. So part of the theme of the song for me was about dealing with a toxic individual who maybe wishes that on Courtney Barnett or Courtney Barnett's instinct to try to do it to someone else because she's been wronged. Um, so there's some really fun imagery in the song. Again, not the deepest lyrics, but what I love about it is it's this song that kind of starts off uh, talking about the blades of grass and what a shame it would be to cut them down. And it's got this very kind of sluggish, subdued, hot summer day. Maybe you've you know had one of our, our favorite terms, the left-handed cigarette. You're just chilling out in the backyard and you get to thinking and everything's pretty slow. But then the more you kind of dwell on the defiance and the toxicity, it starts to build. And musically, the way that this song builds, it's such a subtle cranking in the intensity to the point where we get to this guitar solo, which is, I don't want to call it a train wreck because that implies that it fell apart, but it's not Eddie Van Halen. It's not, you know, this technically excellent blistering guitar solo. It's kind of all over the place. That's what's so like emotionally evocative of it is, I don't know about you, but any time that I've just been kind of like high chilling out, maybe not having a good time, and the thoughts all start to collide, it's all so disorganized that it does kind of take on like a musical quality to it. It's just noise, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't like, it's this really interesting, frantic sound that she makes and then right back down to earth to take us out. This song's like on the longer end too. It's almost like, Seven minutes or something. Yeah, isn't I think it? it's I think it's right up there at seven minutes. Yeah. And it's yeah. you know, there's a few a few lines in here that again where it's like, you know, even a song where I'm like, Yeah, there's not a lot to really you know, there's definitely meaning to the song. You know, there's some deep things that she's going over here. Um, but you know, as far as being able to understand what she's talking about, it's all pretty well laid out there, you know, what what she's referencing. Um, but there's still a few lines that are just really, really good. Uh, you know, I dreamed I stabbed you with a coat hanger wire at the end, like just <laughs> And, you know, it's just there's such a like just a raw emotion to what she writes. Like she can wrap it up and and make it all nice and pretty and and rhyme everything. And then she'll have a line where it says, I dreamed I stabbed you with a hanger wire. You know, it's just like, you know, all of a sudden you get that like, yeah, you know, I'm 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 talented at this. But if you piss me off, like you're going to get it too. you know, like come catch these hands. You know, it's and I think it's, you know, it's very much a sense of like she's not backing down from anything like she knows how good she is. You know, it's and not even like having an ego about it. She's just confident in the fact that she is well, she's well better than she needs to be, you know, to, to allow for treatment like that, you know? And it, and I think it's, you know, I think it just goes to show, you know, even in her debut album, like what kind of growth she's probably already gone through as a person and as a musician, you know, I thought it was a pretty good, pretty strong song with that. Yep. I'm with you. Yes. And then Depreston, I mean, this one might be, you know, I think Pedestrian at best is my favorite one on the album, but Depreston might be second. Um, Just a really, again, it's just talking about like things that a realtor would say, you know, that are the, the, all these classic little lines, um, you know, like she calls it a Californian bungalow, but it's in a cul-de-sac, you know, or it's like they're trying to pump up this house but it's still in this area that's not great, which, you know, I kind of read it as like seeming very much like where we lived in Barrie, 
You know, mm-hmm. it's like very much a, a kind of rundown rough town, I guess, just outside of Melbourne in Australia. But it's, um, you know, just the way that she puts it together, it's like makes the house sound really nice, but she's just not excited about it whatsoever. Well, that and like the existential crisis that it triggers because it starts off like talking about you can almost get a picture of like, OK, um, my partner and I wake up and we got to go look at this fucking house. We make some coffee and we kind of. Get ready. We make the trip. We get there. We see a guy being arrested. Then we're walking through the house. And I've got the lyrics for this one up here, too. Um, let's see. It's got a lovely garden, a garage for two cars to park in, or a lot of room for storage if you just got one. Again, that hard sell. And it's going pretty cheap, you say. Well, it's a deceased estate. Aren't the pressed metal ceilings great? So it's, again, like realtor speak. But at the same time, it's all these little details that I think kind of build to trigger up in this part. Then I see the handrail in the shower, a collection of those canisters for coffee, tea, and flour, a photo of a young man in a van in Vietnam. So again, it's other people's personal effects that have mm-hmm. been there forever that she has no real connection to, but they're part of someone's life. And that gets her thinking about mortality and obviously the person that lived here before died and now she's kind of spiraling into like oh fuck what is the point of any of this mm-hmm. because we're all just gonna die anyway and then all of our shit gets hoed out and somebody else moves in and it, it like something as simple as going to look at a house will trigger all these thoughts and feelings in her yeah in that verse particularly where she says and i yo know, she says a photo of a young man in a van in vietnam and I can't think of floorboards anymore, whether the front room faces south or north. And then the last line, and I wonder what she bought it for. Yeah. You know, it's like that, still that, that you know, the those other thoughts, like where she's in this and she sees all these very personal things about, you know, of people's lives that she knows nothing about, but are, have the deepest meaning to these folks that were there before. And then the last thought is like, huh, I wonder what she got it for. Like, I wonder what, uh, you know, what it's worth now compared to when she bought it. You know, and it's just like those very human things that happen and she's very good at you know the kind of self-awareness as well like the fact that that thought would come into her head right after she's seeing all those like kind of depressing things and very meaningful things for these people that don't exist anymore you know it's just it's just kind of funny the way that she does that very tongue-in-cheek and the beautiful thing is like with lines like that you can read it any number of ways i wonder what she bought it for like what did this cost her originally or what or you could look at it depressing and be like, oh, why did she even buy it? You're just gonna die anyway, right? Yeah. Um, and then I read something. Someone was like, someone looked way into it and was like, oh, I wonder what she bought it for. You know, sometimes when you die, they say you bought it, you bought the farm. So mm. maybe she's wondering how this woman died. I don't personally ascribe to that one. I think perhaps that's one layer too many, and I think you can have a lot of fun with just like the quirkiness of it. But I think the point is, people can get so much out of what seems to be very straightforward on its face. And that's what she's so good at what she does. She's a fucking little songwriting ninja. Yeah, she is. Um, And I think the next, um, speaking of her being a songwriting ninja, I think this one is probably the least (laughs) songwriting ninja like song on here. Aqua Profunda, um, which I think is a play on words, right? What's the, it's like an Italian word or something like that. It just means deep water. I think. Yeah. Yeah is the idea um yep. just means like profound water which i think 
you know, in other languages, they don't have 15 different words to mean the same thing. So it's just, you kind of have to interpret it the right way. Um, But I think it's just about her trying to impress somebody at a, at what seems like a municipal pool or something, you know, and I think it's a, a feeling that we've all had, maybe not specifically at a pool, but think about like field trips that you've been on when you were younger or school dances or something. There's always somebody that you had your eye on that you wanted to impress. And, you know, this is what that song is about. And I think this for me is kind of the most tread upon indie rock territory that there is, is just like looking at this kind of person that's just out of reach. Like, how do I get them to notice me? It's like very much an indie rock trope. Um, but when she does it, it just sounds a lot more pleasant. Like it doesn't, it feels like when you put it in with the rest of the album, it's nice to just have right in the middle here, a little bit of a break where you don't have to like think so hard about, you know, a million words a minute. You know, it's, it's a very clear message about what's going on. Uh, very descriptive, but just a very enjoyable song overall. Yeah. And just relatable, just a, a fun little nugget. It's short. I don't have much more to add. Cause I, yeah. I agree with you. I think it's just a fun summer vibe and it's a, flirtatious song about finding love at the poo yeah yeah um and then moving on to dead fox um this one is when you were mentioning mentioning before um that she will not pull any punches when it comes to you know big business and stuff like that um i mean i think she specifically says big business in this song i mean i don't i don't think there's any any sort of uh misinterpreting what she's trying to um what she's trying to say here um, and she's talking about her partner and I assume they're still together. I'm not sure. Um, but she references this woman, Jen, um, Jen insists that we buy organic vegetables. And I must admit that I was a little skeptical at first, a little pesticide can't hurt, you know, and it's just this idea, this like of this consumerism that our society is, you know, really, really engrossed in. And I, you know, having been around several Australian people for, you know, quite a while with the company I was previously working for. You know, their their ideas of what's fresh and good in, in Australia far different from what we would consider fresh and good here. Like their standards for that are much, much higher than what mm-hmm. we would consider for that here in the US. So the fact that she would say, you know, that she's even saying a little pesticide can't hurt, like it's even doubled like that kind of meeting for us in America, because there's companies that just don't give a shit whatsoever what they're putting in the food as long as we're buying it. Yeah, right. Well, and that's the interesting thing about this song is it's like, first of all, it's a fucking bop. Like the chorus, if you can't see me, I can't see you, this whole thing. Fucking great. But it's this song that's ultimately about like the daily, the indignities associated with like the daily cost of living. How can you minimize the amount of harm that you cause others in the environment while simultaneously incurring the least amount of damage to yourself? It's something, I don't know if you watch The Good Place, but that's a question posed in that show too. Like how, like you try to go down the rabbit hole of being as pure and as ethical as possible and you basically have to sit in a room and not breathe. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea of like how difficult big business and corporations have made it to just fucking live, quite simply. Um, And it's it's also like, I'll, I'll... bring it home with the uh lyric example here but it's about how these corporations are like just outright endangering us to Mm -hmm. to make a fucking buck it's a it's the like murderous instincts of capitalism but even that she just turns into something so fucking like pleasant to listen to and evocative listen to these lyrics second verse heading down the highway hume somewhere at the end of june 
taxidermied kangaroos are littered on the shoulders. A possum Jackson Pollock is painted on the tar. Sometimes I think a single sneeze could be the end of us. My hay fever is turning up, just swerved into a passing truck. Big business overtaking without indicating. He passes on the right, been driving through the night to bring us the best price. I mean, that is the fucking meat and potatoes of the song all right there. Mm-hmm. This guy is taking fucking speed pills to make the next city to get his goddamn apples there on time. If I don't keep my head on a swivel, he'll clip us and fucking kill us. And we'll end up like the possum splattered on the pavement, a Jackson Pollock possum on the tar. It's yeah. just, I, I die. I, I, I wish I could come up with something so fucking clever and evocative. Yep. I mean, it's just, and I really like the the lyric too. Just one line: "I've lost count of all the cows. There will be no salad sandwiches." You know, where it's just <laughs> yeah. it's talking about the meat industry as well and how destructive that is. You know, and, yeah. and and you know just how much of our environment gets punished by that. You know, and I think it's you know this idea that we always hear these companies saying like, "Do your part, like recycle." You know, as individuals, yes, we should be doing our part to do that stuff, but. You're talking about like something like 90% of the world's pollution is caused by corporations. You know, so even if every single individual in the world like cut out all of their pollution, all of their, you know, like recycled everything, all that, you're still only making barely a dent in things, you know. So I think when she calls out big business and the fact that there's this truck, this guy that's, you know, all these little extraneous, um, you know, things that can happen as a result of that, you know, think of the pollution going into the air, think of the amount of gas there. And he's like, Oh, I just got to push to the next town because I know that the petrol is a little bit, you know, and for our you know, listeners on this side of the pond here, petrol meaning just, you know, regular gas, like you would get at a gas station here. That's just what they call it in, in the UK and Australia. Um, but yeah, it's just like, yeah, he's running over all these animals, like hitting all these kangaroos, all these possums just to bring us the best price. You know, and I think it's such a um, such an indictment on the culture that we, you know, that, you know, and I say we as like the royal we we've collectively allowed to happen, you know, but yeah. whether it's complacency um, or we thought it was a good idea. You know, who who knows what, you know, what you might want to blame it on. The fact is it's fucked, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she, yeah, again, it's just a great, great way to, to describe that very obvious lyrics, but also very cutting, you know, she's got a very good way of balancing that, which I think is really good. I mean, she's uh, clever. If she was just like, don't pollute, cut your soda rings. So the turtles don't get their head cut in them. Like, I don't think that would have the staying power as the Jackson Pollock possum. Yeah. She's putting the blame where it belongs, you know, which is, which is, I think a good, a good thing. You know, she hit the target for sure. Yeah. Um, the next one, nobody really cares if you don't go to the party, you know, I think is, you know, a lot of it's a, again, I think a theme I've talked about where it's like, everybody's got that feeling of, you know, you want to go out cause you don't want to miss out on what's going on, but you'd probably rather just stay at home, you know? And it's that, that FOMO, that fear of missing out, you know, that drives a lot of people to, to go out and do these things where it's like, you know, it's that sense of that instant gratification, you know, where we're talking about, you know, always needing the next piece of information and, you know, we're never going to be able to have another artist as influential as Bob Dylan because we can't pay attention long enough. You know, it's, you know, it's, that's kind of represented in here as well, where it's like that I want to go out and be seen and do these things and have fun, you know, because I like these people, but, you know, I'd really also like to have some time by myself and it's just finding the balance of that, 
you know, in a world that's just throwing a zillion things at you at once that, you know, is, is really tough to do. Well, and that, the beauty of this song too, is that's the one character. That's the one side of the coin. But the song is like really this yin and yang between two completely contradictory, but complementary types. And I, I guess I interpreted it to again, be her and Jen, her partner. I think they're broken up now, but I don't know for sure. Um, but I mean, just the the first verse, um, you know, you're saying definitely, maybe this is someone who like keeps their options open. I'm mm-hmm. saying probably no. This is someone whose one option is primarily to fucking chill out in their sweatpants. But neither you, is saying it definitively. Exactly. Yeah. You say you sleep when you're dead. I'm scared I'll die in my sleep. It's just these, again, these clever little twists where it's two people saying the same thing in different ways. It's why they work so beautifully. Shouldn't necessarily work on paper, but have these completely complementary philosophies. They balance each other out. And it's like mm-hmm. the best a lot of us can hope for in a relationship too. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting song. It's why, you know, it's like why the North and South poles of magnets attract each other. And you know, the same poles, you know, reject each other. It's the same, you know, it's that same kind of thing, but it's like just a, got such a clever way of saying that, you know, if I was going to try to put that feeling down in words, I would probably only be able to come up with something like, Oh, you like to go out. I like to stay home. Yeah. I'm a little bit country. You're a little bit rock and roll. Yeah. Something like really kind of obvious and on the nose like that. And it's, it's, she's does a good job at not making anyone seem any better than the other. Yeah. You know, it's just a a difference of opinion and how you want to relate to the world, you know, and, and how you can make that work with each other. And I think, you know, I think it's a really strong, it's, it's the fact that she takes a kind of a second step with these very kind of obvious, um, you know, relationship items, you know, these things that are, that you look at that so many other people have written about, you know, it's, there's nothing new under the sun here, you know, but it's, it's the fact that she's able to find a different level where she brings it up to a level of humanity rather than just the raw emotion that's there. It's like, okay, well, I might feel this way about this, but how other people feel is also valid. You know, so I'm not going to just say my way is right. It's, I'm just saying this is my way. Right. Yeah. Um, and then Debbie Downer, you know, I think this one is a good, another good one. You know, it starts right out. Tell me when you're getting bored and I'll leave. I'm not the one who put the chain around your feet. Like, it's just that imagery where it's like, you know, yeah, I, you might not like being here, but I'm, you decided to do this as well. You know, it's that, that kind of sense where it's like, you know, I think everybody meet gets to that point when they have a relationship with somebody is, is you kind of, you know, it's like, and I guess in a bad relationship, you know, where, where it's like where that argument happens, you know, where it, it's, you know, if you're getting bored, just leave, you know, it's like, but you're not willing to take a look internally and find out what you might be able to do to fix that, you know, and I think that's where relationships go bad. And I think she does a great job again here of just describing how cutting those arguments can be sometimes. And like when you're really trying to just like get under somebody's skin, you know? Well, and I also get the sense that this is someone who's made a lot of concessions to this person and feels like they're going unappreciated. And the one thing she wants is to just be heard for five fucking seconds. Mm -hmm. And this person is just trapped in those rigid preconceived notions and can't appreciate the sacrifices that have been made and doesn't really care to listen. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I agree. I don't have too much more to say about that. I found this one a little more musically like the kind of 60s key slash organ work in this one. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed a lot. So I found it, I think, sonically a little more interesting than lyrically, but that's not even a knock on the lyrics. It's just, again, one of those little kind of valleys that we need after peak after peak after peak. Yeah, it was different than the, you know, kind of heavy, quick, distorted guitars that she has on a lot of the album. You know, it's just yeah. a little bit, little bit different lens that, that she was making the music through there. And so, yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a good one. Uh, moving right along to Kim's Caravan. Um, this one... I think like the last few lines of verse two are really, really incredible. Um, we either think that we're invincible or that we are invisible. Realistically, we're somewhere in between. We all think that we are nobody, but everybody is somebody else's somebody. You know, and it's this idea where it's like, yeah, you might feel alone. You might feel like the world's not really working for you, but you still like you, there's still something to hope for. Like we saw in the Stay Alive album by Laura Jane Grace. It's like there's still, you know, might seem hopeless now but it's just because you haven't seen the hope yet. You know, it's there. You just haven't laid your eyes on it yet. Absolutely. And, and it's just got so many hopeless lyrics. Like the, the whole song, I mean, I looked into it like, and it's obviously about like the pollution of the Great Barrier Reef. And I guess she took a trip to clear her head and saw all of this and was like, what the fuck? And just got really depressed and mm -hmm. had the instinct to write this song. Um, and it's just this this concept of like, yeah, kind of similar to Dead Fox, where it's like, we can all do our part, but it is going to end up a drop in the bucket in terms of the damage that's already been caused and will continue to be caused by people whose bottom line will be inconvenienced by trying to make any meaningful change. But then like out of this like very heavy, depressing song, you have those little nuggets of insight like you're talking about where it's like, you know, you may not think you matter, but you fucking do. And like, yeah, we are up against the wall. And again, you can apply that microscopically to your life. You may not think you matter, but there are people who love you. Or macroscopically and be like, you may not think that cutting up your soda rings does anything. But I'm here to tell you, it may mean the difference. If you want to be somebody, you may be somebody to a fucking turtle that'll die if you don't do this. So those are the things you have to think of rather than succumbing to the depression that is all around you. I mean, the world's on fucking fire. Rather than succumbing to that, keep your head up, keep doing what you know to be right and take comfort in that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's just, uh, I, I feel like she's very good at being a voice for a lot of folks. I don't think that's maybe what she set out to do. Um, but I think because she's got such a worldly point of view um, and such a, a humanist point of view, you know, and, and I think um, that it really comes through in the songs where it never feels like she's punching down at anybody, you know, like that, you know, that she's really ever calling a specific person shitty or anything like that. It's she's calling an idea shitty. She's calling a behavior shitty. She's calling big businesses shitty. You know, she's a calling system, Yeah. Yeah. She's she's putting it on, you know, more kind of extra human things, not, not the things that, you know, she's saying like, if someone's a bad person, there's probably a reason why, you know, but she's not giving any quarter to big businesses or anything like that. And I think that's yeah. a great balance that she has where, you know, it never feels like she's really punching down at anybody. It's always that she's trying to make the world a better place, whatever way that is in that song. 
Yep. Trying to understand where people are coming from rather than just outright condemning. And frankly, we need a lot more of that. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And the next song, um, Boxing Day Blues. Now, this one, you know, ends the album. And man, oh, man, is it a heavy song. Um, and a little backstory again, this is great that it, you know, it's a couple of years old. So we're able to have this kind of analysis available to us that gives us the context for these things. Um, you know, it's about her partner, this woman, Jen, that's been referenced a few times on the album. Um, she tried to, her mother passed away on Christmas day and she tried to call Courtney Barnett to tell her. Um, but Courtney Barnett was off getting drunk somewhere or something like that is, is what she said. So she missed the call for her partner's, you know, you know, I guess in all, for all intents and purposes, her mother-in-law had passed away, um, you know, cause it sounded like it was a pretty serious relationship. Um, and it starts out, I know that I let you down. You're not, you're, um, you're not bent. You're not keen on what you found. Sorry. I've got the, the lyrics are a little ways away from me and they're a little small to try to read. So I know that I let you down. You're not keen on what you found. When's the funeral? Do you want me to come? You know, it's these very real things that she probably actually said to Jen, her partner, um, but it's like, what a heartbreaking thing to know that you were out getting drunk or something like that. And you missed the call for somebody's parent, you know, your significant other's parents passing away. You know, that's gotta be such a shitty feeling knowing that really, why wouldn't you be out getting drunk somewhere on Christmas day? If that's what you were going to do, there's nothing at its base wrong with that, but missing the call for something so important you're always going to place the blame and be like, why did I do that? Why did I go out drinking? You know, and it's just that internal conflict that can build in a situation like this. And it's just laid out pretty perfectly in this song. Well, how could you know? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I would like to think not knowing her personally, but getting a sense from her music that Courtney Barnett is a very empathetic person. So if this was a long illness for the mother, I could see where, you know, Potentially, it would be insensitive to, you know, be gone if it's like, hey, just to let you know, we are kind of in the last stages here to then go off and get drunk. That would be a selfish thing. It doesn't sound like that's what happened. It sounds like this was very unexpected. So, again, how could how could Courtney Barnett know? And again, not that these are the same things whatsoever, but just to tie in all our themes. Um, I remember once. In college, I dropped acid with a bunch of people, and we had the time of our fucking lives, and we didn't want to leave each other. We all had this feeling like, it's not right. We shouldn't bust up. We should all stay together, but we've been up for so long. We kind of need to like come down and have our space and come back to earth. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to my apartment and took a nap and woke up to a phone call, and the family dog had died. Mm. And I immediately internalized that situation and turn it into guilt like you know oh and now you have to go meet your family they're they're like bullshit like they're so upset so you have to go be there for them and you have to go grieve the dog and I realize it's not a a parent I don't mean to equate the two things yeah but it was a big deal for my family and I just like had this tremendous guilt of like how could you do something so selfish but then again, how could you anticipate this happening? So they were like all waiting for me. And I'm like, I don't know if I can drive. I wasn't like whacked out of my mind. But I'm like, I don't know. I still feel weird. Like this doesn't, but I, I have to go. So it was just this like intense guilt. And you're driving and you're like, everything about this is dangerous. Everything about this feels wrong. And you just get down on yourself. And you're like, I'm a piece of shit. 
which is like not at all a helpful reaction to have in the situation, but you can't help feeling like it's somehow like cosmically you're to blame. It's mm-hmm. a fucked up thing. Yeah. And it, and it's hard to, and again, I think it's a very selfish thing to think that way, but it's such a human thing that happens. You know what I mean? It's like, what could I have done to prevent this? You know what I mean? And, and, the, the answer is nothing. You know, there's nothing you could have done to prevent it. Like you picking, you being able to be there and pick up that phone call versus like having to call them back. Like you answering that call isn't going to change the fact of anything that happened. You you know, but it's, it's like you feel like this responsibility to the folks that you love to be there for them. You know, and if you're not able to do that, you know, you're automatically going to internalize that and blame yourself for it, you know? Um, and it's a tough, that's a really tough spot to be in because then you bring that up and it's like, then you sound selfish. Like all you could think of was yourself in that time of everybody's grieving, you know? And it's just, you know, there's no good way to approach that. It's, it's a really hard situation. And I think her writing a song and this really like the simplest song on the album, I think leaving nothing to question. It's basically saying, I apologize for not being there for you at that, at that moment but I'm here for you now Um, where, you know, it says, you know, I'm not what you're looking for. My house has an open door. You need a lock and a key. You know, it's that kind of thing where it's like, she's still questioning how they fit together as a relationship. But what's not in question is that she's there for them, you know, that she's there to, to help support them in this, in this, you know, I know very hard moment for them, you know? Um, And it's just a really nice, I think, beautiful way to end the album you know, the album proper, there's a couple extra tracks that I didn't really dig into. Um, but this one ends the, you know, if you were to buy this album in a store, you know, this was the, what, 10, 10 songs on the album or something like that is, is yeah. all you get. And this one closes it out and it's a really good closing song. I would agree. And, and to, for a future reference, yeah, I usually just go with like the standard release on yeah. most things. Yeah. Um, I think if there's some good tasty extras that we know we want to go over, we can, we'll obviously, you know, let, let each other know. But yeah, I think sticking to the, just the regular base album is, is the best, fairest way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to say stream it. I mean, this one was really good. Um, thank you, Jesse. Yeah. Thank you, JT. Um, this is an obvious stream. Get out there. Courtney Barnett. Do you think? Yeah. Um, and we did have another segment scheduled here, which we were going to discuss our favorite concert moments, but I'm looking at the time and seeing that mm-hmm. we're kind of right up against it here. Um, so, you know, we'll probably push that to next week, um, to the next recording. Uh, we still want to get album submissions in. Um, I love this one. Like this was such a good album submission. You know, the one that my, that my cousin Patrick had given us, you know, I, I like that album a ton as well. And then, you know, the one that my buddy Chase down here had given us was CCR. Like I like that one. It really, that's what we're looking for. You know, that this is the kind of juicy stuff that we're looking for. We want to hear what you're passionate about so that we can see that a little better. You know, we get to know, you know, our listeners a little better, you know, and, and it doesn't always, we'd like to keep it, you know, timely and relevant as far as when albums come out, but that's just for ones that we're picking ourselves, you know, and I think there's no limit to what albums that we want to hear from you. So this one came out, I think 2015 or yeah. something. So, you know, a few years ago, like obviously CCR had come out in 1967, <laughs> you know, so it's like, there's, you know, there's no limit to me. It's just, if you're passionate about an album, if you love an album, you want to hear us talk about it, let us know because we love that. We love to hear from you. Yeah. And we want you guys to have a stake in the show. Like this is not to be hokey, but this should be your podcast too. Like 
you should come here because you want to know if we got the same things out of something that you did or you want a fresh perspective on old favorites or new favorites. So, yeah, I mean, just just keep them coming. I'm really encouraged that we've now had people consistently offer us their picks. That's really fucking great. So keep yeah. it up. Yeah, makes me feel good. And also just going to give another um, another shout out to Jesse specifically for her music. Um, definitely, you know, if you haven't gone and seen Laser Dad, go do that whenever you're able to. I think it'll be a lot sooner in Vermont than it is down here in Texas that we can go out and see live music like that. Um, but her her solo album, you know, her solo stuff is is very good as well. And definitely more along the lines of this Courtney Barnett album. Um, you know, it's just I know her guitar player, Nick Trice, you know, I've been an extremely good musician for as long as I've known him. I've seen him play tons and tons of times. So if, if I know, I knew when he was involved that it was going to be good. Um, and then when I, when I listened to it, it's just, it is, it is really great. So definitely get out there and listen to, to Jesse Taylor band, um, and follow us on Instagram out on that line, Twitter out on that line, one email us out on that line at gmail.com. Um, Alex, was there anything else you needed to, uh, address in the pod this week? Nothing else I need to address. So, uh, might as well jump. Oh, yes. Well, until next time, folks, this has been Out on That Line. Out on that line.